0: It is good to see you guys, and those of you that are watching online, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, I, I'm probably like you, there, there are a lot of things in my life that I have taken for granted, uh, that's kind of human nature, I guess, and I, I probably had taken for granted gathering together with believers and worshiping, but it has been really an encouraging thing uh, for me, just personally, just to see you guys. and be back, so it's uh, super exciting. We are finishing up a series that I am never going to forget, not because it was the greatest sermon series that we've ever done, but it was the timing that we, we did this series. We started this 2020 series, Embracing a New Vision. We started that about, uh, right about the same time that coronavirus uh, chose to, to make a visit uh, here, and so it is kind of etched in my mind. And the reason that we started this series is, is we, we were wanting to really push into one concept, that there's a difference between sight and vision. You know, you can have sight. You can see physically but not have vision. What, what is vision? Vision is really seeing as God sees. You know, what's interesting is um, you cannot have physical sight and you can have vision. And so we've thought about that. And the Scripture says without vision that people perish. Or in other translations it says without vision. In other words, without seeing situations and circumstances as God sees them, that people cast off restraint. And I think we're seeing that in our culture today in in just unbelievable and unprecedented ways. So more than ever before, we need to see as God sees. And so in this series, we've looked at really the nature of God. How do we view God? How do we see God? How do we have vision there? Suffering. How do we view suffering? Relationships. How do we view them? How do we view the future? Um, Even how do we view race relations? We looked at that just a couple weeks ago. But today, we're going to close the series out with this concept, and it's something that uh, Really, I, I've never preached on, but uh, the more I've thought about it over the last couple weeks, um, I think this might be the most important topic, perhaps, that we have looked at throughout this series. And so we're talking about this issue of, of time. How do we see time the way that God would have us see time? You see, because time is this really valuable commodity in our, our culture, isn't it? I mean, we value time really probably above all other things, and Steve Jobs said this before he passed away about time. He said, "My favorite things in life they don't cost any money." He went on to say, "It's really clear that the most precious resource we have is time." You know, as we think about time, we, we buy time. Uh, Amy and I buy time all the time, and that sounded good, didn't it? Well, what does it mean to buy time? We we, we have a little uh, we have a robot vacuum cleaner. Um, kind of every time I fire that thing up, it makes me think of the Jetsons. If you grew up in the 80s, that futuristic uh, you know family, the Jetsons. And so, why do why do we have a Samsung robot vacuum cleaner? Because we value time. You know what, we can let that thing go to work as we leave the house and we come back and vacuum is done. So we got a little time. I love to buy time. You may have your, your lawn cut by somebody. Why? Because you're buying time. Somebody clean your house or, in fact, the entire service industry in many ways is just built on the fact that, really, as Americans, we love to buy time. Why? Because we value time so much. And there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But what's interesting is that we all value time. But if you ever really stop to think about this, how do you view time? how do you view time? Do you view time in the way that God views time? You see, time in many ways binds us, doesn't it? I know the first question that Amy asks me most mornings is, I'm getting out of bed, and she says, well, what time is it? Because in that moment, it just starts the clock that every decision that we'll make throughout the day in many ways is predicated on time because all the meetings, all the appointments, everything that we have to do is just predicated on what's going to happen next. And so time is super controlling. And how many of you don't have to raise your hand here? How many of you have said said something like this? It just seems like we never have enough time. You said anything like that? Yeah, especially through this quarantine, if you're, you know, you're homeschooling kids, you're trying to work and trying to cook meals, and, and so we're, we're running out of time. But then there's also a segment of people during this season who have said, I feel like we have too much time. And so this is really, really an important issue. So for some, it's never enough. For some, it's too much. And so here's what we want to do today. How do we view it? How do you and I view time as God would have us to view time? So let's embrace a new vision of time. Now, in John chapter 11, we want to pick up there. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed and then we're, we're going to dig into the latter part of this passage. This is a story that maybe you're pretty familiar with in the Bible. It's a story of of, of Lazarus, uh, his resurrection. But in John chapter 11, Jesus has has just left the region of Jerusalem and so when he's, he's there, it's about halfway through his ministry. When, when he's there in Jerusalem, uh, apparently uh, there were some there that uh, tried to stone him and Jews tried, that tried to kill him, so he he makes it out because everything that Jesus did was on his own timetable. No one took anything from him. He always gave that on his own timetable. So he makes his way back up to the north, and as he's there, a messenger comes to he and his disciples that Mary and Martha, now who were they? They were friends of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it's sisters and their brothers. They lived in a, a small town called Bethany. was just about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so G- Jesus was super close with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And word comes to Jesus that the one that you love, your buddy, your boy, Jesus, Lazarus, is sick. And so... Uh, the way this is written, it isn't that Lazarus is just, uh, he, he's hes dying of old age, that there was this illness that had come upon Lazarus very quickly, and he's hes super sick. And so they wanted to get that news to Jesus. And so Jesus kind of shares this with his disciples, that this sickness would not end in death, but what's going to happen is going to be used to bring glory to God. And that's going to be a really interesting concept as we move on today. What does it mean to glorify God? That's a great question to think about. To glorify God means this, that that, that, that something might happen so that the attributes of God might come to the surface and people might see who God is. That's what it means to glorify God, that people might see the sovereignty, that God is in total control of all things, that people might see the power of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the justice of God. And so that's what it means to glorify God, to let others see the attributes of God. And Jesus is saying what is happening in Lazarus' life uh, is, is going to happen so that the attributes of God might be displayed and so after the messenger leaves, it's quite apparent that Jesus waits two days intentionally. He waits two days before he goes back. And he tells his disciple after deliberately, which we're going to get into in just a few moments, that Jesus deliberately waits two days before he goes back. He tells his disciples, it's time for us to go to Judea. In other words, we're going south, and and we're going to go and see Lazarus. And and Jesus says, it's time for me to, to wake Lazarus up from his sleep. And to that, his disciples who didn't want to go back there because Last time they were there, things didn't go so well, and all of a sudden the disciples become like you know medical professionals or they're on teledoc or WebMD, and they say, well, you know what, Jesus, if he sleeps, he'll, he'll probably be okay. So maybe we should just leave him alone and let him sleep. And and what Jesus was talking about that Lazarus wasn't taking a nap. He, he wants them to know that, that Lazarus has Lazarus has has died, and Jesus even says, I'm I'm glad that that's happened so that God can be glorified and the Son could be glorified through that. And so let, let's start here and then we'll dig into the scripture and, and look and read in just a few few minutes a little bit more. But here's the first thing. I want to share three things today that I think could be super helpful about you and me embracing a new vision on time. Because can I at least find some agreement from those of you who are here, those of you who are watching online, is time a valuable resource? Certainly it's a valuable resource for, for all of us. Would it make sense that we begin to see time a little bit more the way that God sees time? That would make sense that we would do that. So uh, let, let's look at a couple things, three things. And again, this isn't everything you could say about time, but I think it's a starting place. The first thing about time and beginning to see time as God sees time is this, understanding that a person of vision sees time is limited. A person of vision sees time as limited. We're going to see this in the Scripture. But an old view of time is really this. An old view of time is sort of indifferent. In other words, we just don't think about it. Isn't that fascinating, by the way, that something as valuable as time we don't really think about very often? And so an old view of time would just be indifferent. In other words, I don't think about it. I sort of just put things off because it's not that big a deal. I don't want to think about my own mortality, whatever. That's an old view of time. An old view of time is, is, is also a belief that you just have unlimited time. In other words, I, you're, you're really thinking and this is sort of an operating system that you have that you just, you just are going to have enough time to do the things that, that, that God really wants to do in your life. And so consequently, you always put things off because you really believe you have an unlimited amount of time. But what's a new vision of time look like? Now, look back at verse 14. Jesus tells his disciples, they, 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 they don't understand what's going on with, with Lazarus. And Jesus tells his disciples plainly, he says in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, now, can we just have a commercial here? Can we just take a break from the sermon? Because this doesn't fit with the sermon exactly, but it's a really good truth that's in the text that you need to know. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Do you see that? You see that throughout the scripture here. I mean, Jesus loved Lazarus, and people that Jesus loved and that loved Jesus get sick. Lazarus got sick and Lazarus died. Lazarus died. You see, we, there, there's this sort of belief that permeates Christianity sometimes today that, you know what, if I really love Jesus and if I obey Jesus and I have enough faith in Jesus and if Jesus loves me, then I won't get sick. Well, that's certainly in the case with Lazarus. Lazarus got sick and, and Lazarus died. But now, what, what's the point as it relates? Commercial's over now. What, what, what's the point as it relates to this story? Jesus is highlighting Lazarus' death to show us the reality of death and to show us that our time here is limited. You see, a person of vision faces the reality of their own mortality, and you're like, man, I'm glad I showed up today at the 11 o'clock service for this. It's a super encouraging, super encouraging message, but here's something, here's the irony of this. Unless you face your own mortality and begin to see it as God sees it, you'll never be free from it. It will plague you, and you will live in fear from it all the days of your life, that's not any freedom, but when you face it and begin to see death as God sees death, then you can be free from it, and so it doesn't have to plague you all the days of your life. COVID is kind of interesting. Now, I'm not a medical professional. In fact, everything that I've thought about COVID has turned out not to be, to be accurate, um, but, but, but here's what we know, uh, that if you contract the virus, it is about a 99.5% chance less than 1% chance that you'll die from that, 99.5% chance that you'll fully recover. So the mortality rate of COVID is is, is certainly very low. But here's what I would say to you. Do you know what your mortality rate is and mine? It's 100%, right? I mean, everyone in this room has something in common. Our time is limited. One day we will breathe our last. That's that's just 100%. And again, you're thinking, wow, great message. Super glad I'm here. Look, Look, A person of vision, this is a starting place for time, how you understand time. A person of vision realizes their time is limited. That's a really important thing for all of us to see. Now, James chapter 4, verse 13, look at this passage. This is a helpful passage. James, the half-brother Jesus said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this uh, or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and, and make money, that's kind of an old view of time, thinking that I've just got unlimited time. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not important to plan. We should plan. We should have a plan that's not that. But it's just to presume. The thought that James is saying is it's just presuming upon God that you just have an, an unlimited amount of time. And, and that's not seeing time correctly. Look at verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. That's really true, isn't it? We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Listen to what he says. What is your life? Great question. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's what the Scripture says about our time. It's like we're a mist here, and then it vanishes. One of the things that I do that people think is strange and peculiar and weird is inside this, some of you know that inside this flap of of my notebook where I keep my notes for my sermon, I'm looking at my notes on this back screen, but... I'm not a technology guy. That could go away. And so Linus has his blanket. But inside that fir- first sleeve, I have, um, I have um, orders of services from all the funerals, really, or, or most of the funerals that I've done, really. I started doing this about 10 years ago. And I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals for people that I love and people that I care, back, care about. Some of them have been family members. Some of them have been friends. Many of them have been church members. Some of them have been older folks that went on to see Jesus. And some of them have been young children. Some of them, uh, folks of my classmates and teammates, and all, all kinds of all kinds of people are here inside uh, this uh, notebook. Why do I do that? Here's why I do that. I do that to remind me that. Every time I preach could be the last time I preach. I I don't presume that I'll have another chance to preach the gospel. So today could be the last sermon I ever preached. I want to preach this message as if it was the last message I'll ever preach because I I realize I have a limited amount of time. And I realize that everyone who sits here, this could be the last sermon you ever sat through. And so you're saying, you know what, that's why I left the church years ago is because people like you tried to stand up and they just were always throwing out scare tactics and this, that, and the other. Well, let's just be honest. We don't do that around here. But we do share truth. And the Bible says that our life is, is like a mist. It, it could be here today like a fog. It could be here and, and, and it vanishes. So our time is, is limited. And so there's only three things you can do with your time. Watch this. Three things you can do with your time. Uh, you can waste your time. You can spend your time. Or you can invest your time. That's really the only three things you can do with your time. isn't? Think about that. You can spend time. And and spend time, we spend time with our family. We spend time with our friends. We spend time at at work. Or we can spend time with our hobbies, perhaps. Or we can waste time. And and waste time is just where you don't really just engage our our mind. We're just being amused. We're sort of just being distracted. Interesting, I read this, that during COVID, that uh, the average American has spent about 30 hours uh, watching streaming services like Netflix. That's a really big time, that's a that's a part-time job, right? Uh, Watching streaming services, uh, eight to ten hours playing video games. And so, again, not bashing any of that. I'm just saying that as Americans, we waste a lot of time. Would you agree with that? We waste a lot of time. There's only three things you can do with time. You can spend it, you can waste it, or you can invest it. And what does investing our time look like? Well, you're investing your time right now. Right, Being here and gathering in worship or watching online, as, as, as some of you are doing, you're investing some time right now because there's multiple things you could be doing right now during this time. Isn't that right? But you're investing it because investing time is anything I'm doing that's helping me to grow my faith. That's an investment in your time. Or you invest time when you're spending your time doing something that is advancing the kingdom, Right? I heard from a mom uh, yesterday, she's a grandmother, young lady, young grandmother. Grandmothers are so, and grandfathers are so much younger to me today than they've ever been. It's amazing what is happening with that. But she was talking about the rock the block they were doing. She's a grandmother. She's raised her kids, you know. Uh, She has three grown kids. She's doing a rock the block for her grandson. She has two grandsons. They both play travel soccer. She's invited both of their soccer teams to come to her rock the block. Now, that's a grandmama who's got it going on, doesn't it? That's a grandmama who says, I just have a limited amount of time. I'm going to invest my time, right? I can spend my time. I can waste my time or I can invest my time, and she's investing time, and so that's what we can, we can do. A person of vision really lives in light of eternity right? A person of vision who sees time correctly realizes I'm living my light, life in light of eternity because here's what that means. Here's what that means. A person of vision realizes they only have a set number of hours to prepare for eternity and impact eternity. You understand that? A person of vision understands this. I only have a set number of hours to prepare for eternity to, to, to impact eternity because there, there will be a forever too late. And so that makes me want to take a look at how I'm spending, wasting, and investing and make some adjustments to that because a person of vision, first of all, realizes that time is limited. Let's look at the second thing today. and We're going to dig into the Scripture a little bit deeper here. This is is harder. This is difficult. But this is super, super important. A person of vision who sees time as God sees time, a person of vision sees God's glory is more important than my time. Let me say that to you again. A person of vision sees the glory of God. And remember, what did we say about the glory of God? The glory of God is when God's attributes are put on display for others to see. And the best way that God can be glorified is through the lives of his people, okay? So uh, but but a person of vision understands that God being glorified is more important than my personal time. Now, now watch this. There has been times in your life when when you were really bothered, and so many people, please, please, please hang with me if you're watching online. I know so many people who have walked away from the faith. Who have really left following Jesus because in their life Jesus wasn't showing up on their timetable? It was a prolonged period of disease or sickness, a prolonged period maybe of singleness that was frustrating. It was in a dead end job that was causing them a, a, a lot of problems, and so God wasn't showing up on their timetable. And so because God wasn't showing up on their timetable, they're just like they're 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 out, you see. And so what what is a vision that God wants us to see? That God's glory. Really trumps our time. Look at verse 4. I want to show you this in Scripture. John 11, verse 4. Listen to Jesus. After getting the news that Lazarus is sick... When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In other words, uh, G- G- Jesus is saying that, that God is, what's going to happen here, even though Mary and Martha are going to have to wait, what's going to happen here is God's going to be glorified. People are going to see the power of God in ways that they've never seen before. All right. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's a great reminder, right? He loved them. And, but even people, love, people that Jesus loves get sick. Watch verse 6. If you have your pen out, I want you to underline a, a word here, if you could. It says, So so when he heard that, Jesus was, or that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I want to show you these two verses together because I think there's something that's super important. Jesus, Verse 5 tells us that Jesus loves Mary, Jesus loved Martha, Jesus loved Lazarus. So upon hearing that Lazarus was sick, it said, so Jesus waited for two days. Now what does that mean? It doesn't mean that, that it doesn't say that but Jesus waited or Jesus was like sort of indifferent about Lazarus being sick. It says so he waited, which means there was intentionality to what Jesus was doing. I mean, he did this on purpose. You see it? I want you to see. Is that uncomfortable a little bit? It is. So Jesus waited. He waited two days. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he and his disciples, or he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So what happened here? Watch this. Jesus waits, and Lazarus dies. Jesus waited, and Lazarus dies. Now, and that can be very frustrating in our life when God doesn't show up on our timetable, right? Super frustrating, and some people just walk away. Now, a person of vision, look, a person of vision realizes delay is not God's disinterest. Can I say that to you again, those of you who are still awake? A person of of vision realizes that God delaying is not him being disinterested. We feel like that, though, sometimes, don't we? We feel like like this. Well, God isn't showing up, so that must mean he's disinterested. He's not disinterested in what he's doing with Lazarus. He's intentional about what he was doing. That's what I'm trying to show you here, all right? A person of vision realizes that delay is not God's disinterest, but it's a part of his divine plan. You see that? Can I tell you something? Because we don't like to, to hear this, but Jesus is looking at a much bigger picture than you and I are looking at. That makes sense. My, my granddaughter, she, she's one, she's amazing. Uh, she hates to take a nap she doesn't get it and, and and I try to put myself in her in her shoes like a one year old she's hanging out with her pop pop who I'm super cool and uh you know and so why would she want to leave me and and ha- go have to lay down and, and you know Amy'll say you know sometimes when we're keeping her she'll she'll, she'll, she'll just kind of say it's time for her to take a nap well she knows she hears nap and she just like freaks out because to her nap means dark room away from everybody bad idea right that's the mind of a one year old could we all agree today that one year olds don't really see the the full picture. No offense to any one-year-olds, but they don't. But here's what we know about Charlotte. If Charlotte doesn't take a nap, you don't want to be within three miles of her in the afternoon because it is not going to go well, right? So that, that, is, uh, that is her nanny seeing the big picture or her mom seeing the big picture, but how much more is that true of God, right? And, and, and certainly Jesus, in this Lazarus story, watch this. Jesus waits, but what is going to happen by His waiting? right? He waits, and he's going to resurrect Lazarus. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And a lot of people who were there mourning for this funeral, Jesus walks up and calls Lazarus out of the grave, and many of them believe, put their faith and trust in Christ, and their eternity is altered. That's a big deal, right? Worth it. He's also, this, this miracle of resurrecting Lazarus is foreshadowing what's going to happen with the greatest miracle of all time in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that would say, oh, that makes sense, right? Well, that's a, that's a pretty big picture. I didn't see that. There was more going on than, than, than what I thought, Jesus. In fact, and you can email me if you disagree with me, that, that's okay. I understand it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross, but it is this miracle that really God uses that sends Jesus to the cross because the Jews, I mean, there's a dead man now. Lazarus was a dead man. Now he's walking around talking about what Jesus did. That's a problem for those who who hated Jesus. And so it, it's, it's really the miracle that sent Jesus to the cross, which is ultimately all a part of God's sovereign plan so you and I could be redeemed. Do you see it, right? Do you see that? And so what's the point? That the, the picture that Jesus is looking at is a whole lot bigger than what we see. So a person of vision begins to understand that. And a person of vision begins to say this, when, God's wait, when God waits in my life, it's going to be worth it. God, when you're waiting, it's going to be worth it. Now, let's, let's dig in. I want to show you something. Man, this is hard truth. And, and, and some of you ladies are going to be mad at me here because you love, you love you some Martha. And I love Martha too. But I want to show you something in Martha's life that, that is true about all of us at times. And this is what God's doing while we're waiting. Look on down at verse 21. Do you have your Bible? Yeah, If you don't, you can just uh, just look on with the person beside you. We'll put the scripture up here on the screen. Jesus shows up, right? He makes his way to Bethany. He rolls in. He's, he's, he's four days late, right? But, but he's there. And then Martha, she rushes out to meet him. Martha's like that person. Do you have somebody in your life, you never, a Martha in your life, you never have to worry what they're thinking because they will tell you straight up, right? And so Martha is the first one to meet Jesus, and she's, she's going to let him have it. Right? She's not happy. Lord, Martha said, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You ever had those moments with Jesus? Where you been? Where you been? If you showed up, uh, this wouldn't have happened, right? And so here she is. I mean, she's, she's coming after him. But listen to what she says immediately after that, verse 22. But I know, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And it says, and you're, you're probably thinking, Pastor Brady, it sounds like you're saying that kind of flippantly. Is that really the way Martha said it? I kind of think so. And you say, well, how do you know? Because we're gonna gonna see it in the scripture in just a few moments, right? But I know that whatever God will give you, whatever you ask God will give you, Martha said. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now listen to her response. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection and the last day. Do you understand what's going on? Martha could fit perfectly in any church in the South in the year 2020. Because she knows the stuff, man. She's got unbelievable bumper sticker faith. She knows every cliche. Everything she says is truth. Man, she, she's got all the statements. She's got them cold. She knows, she knows everything to say. But the truth of the matter is, she doesn't really believe any of these. And you say, well, how do you know that? Again, Scripture's going to interpret that. Listen to what she says. I, I, I don't want you to miss this. When, when Jesus says to Martha, He says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise again, the resurrection at the last days. Martha knew of a concept called resurrection. What needed to happen is she needed to know the Resurrector. She needed to know the one who was the king over this concept. Watch what Jesus says in verse 25. In response to what she just said, She said, I know, I know, I know, I know, i know. save it for somebody else, Jesus. I know he'll be resurrected in the last days, yada, 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 but you should have been here. Jesus said to her, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's one of the seven I am statements in Scripture. This may be in one of the top ten most powerful passages in the entire Bible Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Martha, you believe in a concept? That's your problem. You need to breathe, believe in me who is the king. Because let me just ask you something. When you're sick, do you want a medical book or do you want a doctor? Help me. I want a doctor, right? If you got legal trouble, you want a law book or you want a lawyer? Lawyer, please. You're facing death? You want, you want a friend with their bumper sticker faith? Or do you want to know somebody who has defeated death? I'll take the ladder, right? And that's what Jesus is showing her. I'm the resurrected in the life. And now listen, we, we tend to develop bumper sticker, sticker faith in the good times. You can develop bumper sticker Christianity in the good times. You can know the cliches. Yesterday, Amy and I were driving into Nashville. We were passed by somebody at about 95 miles an hour with a Christ follower sticker on the back of their car. And I want to say, you know what, you're a Christ follower. You're, you're not a law follower. I could see that. So, you know. And, and, and nothing against the, the great stickers. And if you have a, a Christian bumper sticker on your car, I, I'm, I'm using this as an illustration. But, but, but real faith, real faith is forged in the waiting. Real true faith is forged in the waiting. And that's what Jesus is showing. I'm the resurrection of life. The one who believes, look, look at this, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then watch this next question that Jesus says. He says to Martha, Do you believe this? Why does he ask this question? Because he doesn't know? No, he knows. He wants her to know, right? Right? Anytime Jesus asks us a question, this isn't to inform him, it is to inform us. You with me? Jesus says, Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe, you're the son of, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Messiah, Son of God who's come into the world. Again, she's still, she's still rolling. Like, she can throw the cliche out before the question is even done. Yes, 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 yes. But then, watch what happens. Here we go. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. That, that phrase, uh, I haven't given this to any other service today because we, we, we uh, I just don't think they're ready to handle it. I think you guys are ready to handle it. You ready to handle it? In the Greek, when it says Jesus deeply moved, English doesn't even have kind of a phrase to interpret that as well. It, it means almost like snorting. It's like the language that a, that, a, that, a, that a bull makes as he enters into the ring. And Jesus making his way to the tomb, it's like this snort. He understands He understands that sin and unbelief cause death. And there's just anger as it relates to that. But he's going to defeat that. So it's like the game is on now, Right? Jesus comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. It reminds us of this ultimate resurrection that's coming. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. Here we go. This is huge. Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, Martha said. Now, why does Martha speak up here? In other words, she's telling Jesus, don't do that. Martha's got power of attorney. Mary's not here. Martha's the closest of kin. She's got the authority to make the decisions, right? She's got power of attorney. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. And Martha says, nope, don't do, no, no, you guys don't listen to him. He's been in there for four days and there's a terrible odor. I learned this in the King James. It said, don't do that, he stinketh. You remember that in the King James? You grew up in the king, he stinketh. That's what Martha said. Watch what happened. I mean, here's the same one who's just had cliche. This woman had cliche after cliche, right? You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. God will do do anything you ask. Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, okay, roll the stone away. No, 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 don't do that. Because the truth of the matter is, Martha didn't really believe. Martha had the cliches, but Martha didn't see Jesus truly as the ultimate king. So finally, they take the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank thee that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Some of the people standing there, Martha's standing there. I want Martha to see my power. Because let me, let me just tell you something. Let me just tell you something. God's power is seen most prominently in a period of prolonged waiting. God's light is seen most powerfully in the midst of the darkest times in our life. Listen, you can, you can know cliches in the light, but let me just tell you something. You can meet Jesus face to face in the dark, in the waiting. And that's what Martha needed to see. She needed to see his power unleashed. All right? So they rolled the stone away. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. What did did Martha see? Martha saw the resurrection power of this Jesus. She knew about a concept. Now she knows about the king who's able to bring this about, and that makes all the difference in the world. Listen, knowing about a concept isn't going to change your life. Personally, knowing this king is what changes our life. It says, The dead man came out, his feet wrapped in his strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You ever wondered? I mean, Jesus calls a dead man back to life. Couldn't he have handled the grave clothes as well? You ever thought about that? Like, why does he ask people to come take the grave clothes off? Is anybody weird like me and think about that? Like, come on, Jesus. I mean, you just run out of power or something? What happened here? Why why, did you do that? Could it be? I mean, two things. We see two things that people do in the midst of this. Number one, God is calling you and I to trust him enough in a certain area of our life to remove the stone and experience his resurrection power. That's why so many of us are not experiencing God's resurrection power because we have bumper sticker faith like Martha. We believe in concepts instead of the king, instead of trusting the king. But, but there is an area, I promise you, listen, I promise, 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 there's an area in your life that God is saying, would you trust me enough in this area, obey me enough in this area to remove the stone and watch what I'll do on the other side of that. That's where the good stuff is. And then even taking off the grave clothes, what, what's the point? This is also free for the 11 o'clock service. I think, that's, I think that's the miracle of discipleship that God calls us into. Listen, salvation is completely a work of God. Do you believe that? A person's dead spiritually, comes alive. That's what God does. But he, he allows us to join him in helping people take the grave clothes off so they can walk in freedom. Do you see that? That's what we give our life to invest in. It's powerful, isn't it? Now, look at this before we close. God wants to destroy our bumper sticker religion so he can bring to life true belief. I think think that's happening in in all of our lives. And so in what area is God wanting me to trust him in, believe him enough? Not just, let's just get get past the cliches. But do we really trust him enough to obey? That's where Martha was stuck. Let's look at the third and final thing, and then we'll be done today. Let me recap. As we think about a person of vision, they see time is limited. A person of vision sees God's glory. God's glory, his attributes being on display in my life as I learned to trust him, God's glory is more important than my own personal timetable. And then number three, a person of vision understands that our time here is not all there is. Our time here is not all there is. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. Now, let's think about this. We don't believe this. I mean, we may know the concept, but we live our life like this is all there is. A person of vision realizes this isn't all there is. So, sometimes people invite me to a Titans game. Most of the time people invite me to a Titans game and they'll say, like, like last year, somebody said, hey, I got, I got tickets to the Patriots game. Do you want to go to the, the, the Patriots game? Got four tickets. You can take your boys, take Amy, go to the Patriots game. And then last, right, right behind that, they said, it, it's, it's, just, it's a preseason game. Can I tell you what? Preseason NFL football is not NFL football. you ever been to a preseason game? It's 135 degrees. There's only 84 people there. The starters play three plays, and then they bring in some guy from Hawassee Junior College to play the rest. No offense if you went to Hawassee. I'm sure it's a good school. I just don't care, right? Preseason NFL football is not NFL football. Can I tell you something? This is the preseason. The show hasn't begun why do we live like this is all there is? And so you say, what what, what is it? We just need to grab all there is now because we just lived this life and we're just so influenced by the culture that you only go around once. No, Jesus said, if you believe that you'll live even though you die, it hasn't even begun. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. This is just the preseason and a person of vision understands that. Satan's greatest tactic Satan's greatest tactic is to keep us preoccupied with the now. But there's way more than that. I have a friend. I was just with him a couple weeks ago. Joseph was with us as well. He has an interesting job. He drives a tour bus for A-list country music stars. That's a pretty cool job. I'm asking him about those folks and He drives for a couple people more than others. And if I said their names, you would know them immediately. And he said the way it goes is uh, they'll go to a a venue. Back when artists were traveling and touring, they go to a venue, sold-out crowd stadium. And he has the bus ready. It's underneath the stadium. The artist is done. and has meet and greet with folks and then gets on the bus and they head to the next venue This bus is decked out nicer than most of our homes, and the artist goes back and tries to rest. But this particular artist, who's an A-plus celebrity, can't sleep. He said, many nights as my buddy is driving down the road, he just comes and sits beside him, and they just talk about life. He said, And he's thinking, how many people would like to be sitting where I'm sitting right now talking to this celebrity driving down the road in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere? He said, on this particular occasion, he just felt led of the Lord to begin to really share the gospel, articulate the truth of who Christ is to him. My friend's a believer. He shares the gospel with this guy. And he said, the artist looked at him and said, This, I believe that. I want that, and I need that. My buddy's thinking, this time next year, there'll so be somebody driving the bus for me because I'm the person who led so-and-so to faith in Christ. I'll be speaking all over the country. So he's ready to, in church terms, he's, he's going to lead him to faith in Christ. He's going to close the deal, right? He says, would you like to do that right now as we're driving down the road? And the artist looks at him, and here's what he said. I can't. I can't. And my buddy asked the question that you would ask. What's the question? Why? Why? Here was his answer. He said, that stadium tonight was filled with people who love the illusion of who they think I am. He said, I'm making millions and millions of dollars with this bad boy persona that they want. They love it. And he said, if I do that, I will lose probably right probably right but but here's the deal a person of vision let's pull back from that and let's really see what the trade off is he might be trading 10 or 15 years at the most of a run like that for eternity can I just be honest with you the numbers just don't work The numbers just don't work. It's super short-sighted, and it is heart-wrenching. But it's not just for that A-list celebrity sitting in the passenger seat of this million-dollar tour bus. It's for probably every one of us at some level in our life who live our life on a daily basis like this is all there is. But it's not. and a person of vision understands that so here it is here's the question what time is it I'm asking that of you it's time for you to be quiet so we can go to lunch no you missed it what time is it for you do you understand time maybe in a different way? Are reminded of things that you've forgotten? For some of you, some of you watching online right now, let me tell you what time I believe it is for you. It is a time to be done with the excuses. It is a time to be done with the concepts of Christianity. Embrace the core of Christianity. That is faith in a risen Savior and His name is Jesus. And you need to trust Him completely. That's what time it is. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's what time it is. For others of you, here's what time it is. It's time to invest in the kingdom. Because you can spend time, you can waste time, or you can invest time. Listen, I've heard what everybody says about the church today, to be honest. I think it's baloney. Well, people just aren't going to commit today in this culture, and people are going to be here about once every four weeks, or you're not going to just get people to commit because they do this and they do that. You know, here's the issue. We just don't know what time it is. That's the problem. It's time to invest in that which will impact forever. That's where life is. That's where life is. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this moment we call time that you've allowed us a glimpse into your story and that you've spoken through the power of your Holy Spirit into our story. And in this moment we call time, I pray that there's someone here who would trust you completely with their life. Maybe they have had bumper sticker faith all their days. They know the things to say and most of what they say is even accurate. But they don't know you. But in this waiting over the last three to three and a half months, in this frustrated, anxious time, they have seen you. And they're ready to yield to you in repentance and faith. Lord, I pray for that. That's what time it is. Lord, for others, we have spent so much of our time just wasting time. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us, encourage us, motivate us to invest. In Jesus' name, amen.